0: It's no ordinary time for politics and the presidential election. For breaking news, analysis, and commentary from a smart, informed perspective, sign up for our free daily newsletter, America Today. Visit americamag.org newsletters.
1: A warning for our listeners. This episode contains mature themes and strong language.
2: I grew up in California, uh, you know, granddaughter of immigrants. And, you know, on the other side, my mom was one of 14 kids. So, you know, very historically Catholic. But when I, you know, decided that I had a mind of my own in high school, um, I really left everything that my parents had tried to teach me about faith and morals behind. So um, I was doing a lot of I guess, sexual experimentation and just, you know, trying to explore attraction and what that meant for me. Um, and one of those guys that I was involved with, we had been on again, off again for, oh nine, ten 10 months or so. And um, we'd been sleeping together and I eventually told him like, hey, I'm not comfortable sleeping with you anymore um can we just like take several steps back and uh, his response was to break up with me so i guess we all know what he was really after then february came and valentine's day and he called me and he was like amy i'm so sad i'm so lonely i told him hey you know if you want to come sit on my front porch and we can just talk um you know you're you're welcome to and when he arrived, I heard the car door slam and um, I have a, a low blood pressure condition. So um, when I stand from like being seated on the floor or laying down, um, I'll like white out or sometimes black out. And um, this time I white it out, you know, couldn't see anything, couldn't hear anything. Um, you know, my ears were ringing and the next thing that I knew he was on top of me and he raped me. (sighs) So for all intents and purposes, our relationship was over at that point. I stopped talking to him and I tried to tell my friends about what had happened. And their response was, you know, he would never do something like that. He's a really nice guy. Um, you know, this is your fault, you know, you're a slut, you're a whore, et cetera. Um, Basically lost my entire circle of friends in one fell swoop. Then March went by, April came, and I still had a period. So I was panicking, thinking that, you know, what if I was pregnant by my rapist, I was a straight A student. I was a starter on the JV basketball team. You know, all of my teachers were just saying that I was Ivy League material. So the idea of having a baby um, just really threw me through a loop. And so abortion was really the only thing that was on my mind, you know? Like I was a feminist, I was an atheist, I was queer. Um, And I supported human rights, but I guess I didn't really know what that looked like. But that position on abortion really withered within the space of a few terrifyingly long days during that April. The guy who raped me came and pulled me out of my architectural drafting class one day. And um, he, you know, took me out to the hallway and he said, Amy, if... Like, you need to get an abortion. I'll drive you, I'll pay for it, but you need to get it taken care of. And then he said, Amy, if you don't get an abortion, I'm thinking that I might kill you. And then myself. And it just shook me to the core. And I went back to class, you know, my heart just racing but at the same time, something just clicked. I realized that what my rapist was telling me was you're an inconvenience to me, you're an inconvenience to my future, therefore, I'm going to kill you. And I realized, you know, what right do I have to do that same exact thing to another human being? It was in that moment when my own life was threatened that i realized that i couldn't take part in this ongoing cycle of violence and oppression i became very begrudgingly (laughs) pro-life in that moment because i knew that it was going to absolutely slaughter any future social life that i had (laughs) but i also knew that I had to be an advocate for nonviolence from that moment forward. That I couldn't use violence to get what I wanted in life. So it just became obvious that I had to embrace nonviolence. And over time, um, you know, I as I did more research, I began to understand that there was a name for this, and that was the consistent life ethic. I'm Amy Murphy. I am a queer, pro-life feminist, and I am the founder and executive director of Rehumanize International.
1: The debate over abortion in the United States remains contentious, especially during elections. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of a woman's right to have an abortion in the landmark 1973 case Roe vs. Wade. The issue gradually became polarized by activists and politicians on either side. Over time, the Republican Party claimed the battle against abortion and adopted the pro-life position. The Democratic Party has increasingly sided with the Supreme Court endorsing the pro-choice stance. For American Catholics, this politicization has made things very complicated. Catholic teaching on abortion is clear, all human life must be respected from the moment of conception to natural death. So the act of abortion is morally evil. But does the life of the unborn matter more than, say, the life of a convict executed by the state, or of a refugee rejected at the border? An honest voter sees that neither platform of the Republicans or the Democrats fully represent the church's broad understanding of human dignity the bishops of the United States have weighed in, issuing a comprehensive guide for Catholics called Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. In it, they insist that Catholics are not single issue voters, and that individuals must vote according to their consciences, and not along party lines. In a new introduction to the guide issued in 2019, they also state that, quote, the threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority as Catholics. Today, wherever there's a public debate or demonstration about abortion, there you'll find the Catholic Church, voicing its pro-life position in defense of the unborn. We're here for a very simple reason, to defend the right of every child born and unborn, to fulfill their God-given potential. President Donald Trump has pushed the debate to a breaking point. While claiming the pro-life label and advocating an anti-abortion platform, aspects of his character, his racist and sexist comments, and his policies on immigration, poverty, and climate change have violated human dignity and contradict Catholic teaching. So what's a Catholic to do? From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic, a podcast about what's at stake in the 2020 election from the people who know the issues best and bring their faith to the voting booth. In this episode, we're looking at abortion as a voting issue for American Catholics. What do Catholics really believe about abortion and how do they factor it into their decision for whom to vote? In the summer of 2020, a national interview study was released on how Americans understand abortion. Leading the study was Trisha Bruce, a sociologist of religion at the University of Notre Dame. The goal was to fill in some of the gaps around American attitudes on abortion. Not only what people believe, but how they feel, what informs their perspective, and how it connects to their personal experience. I began my interview with Trisha by asking her to assess the public conversation around abortion today.
0: I think that we're in this moment right now where things seem very polarized, uh, and there's oftentimes um, a conversation around this social issue and many social issues as if there are two mutually exclusive camps. There's one side and another side, and as a result, it creates this very almost toxic environment in which it's difficult to talk about things because the presumption is that well, it's it's a test. You know, are you on my side or another side? And so, for many, it's a difficult conversation even to have, because the the public way that we narrate it is so intense and angry.
1: So since that's the way that abortion is discussed in the public, let's turn to your study. In your study, did you find that most Americans fall into one of those camps of either, you know, strongly pro-choice or strongly pro-life, or is it more complicated than that?
0: Yeah, you know, the first thing that that we did when we sat down with people to talk with them in depth about the topic of abortion was we said, well, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word abortion? Um, and for many, there was this sort of immediate connotation of this very toxic public sphere and this uh, fear to talk about it. Uh, but then when we started talking to people, we realized, well, that's not for themselves, how they actually saw their own views towards abortion. Oftentimes it's contradictory or people will be uncertain or not quite sure where they fall, or maybe they'll describe themselves as falling somewhere in between on the issue.
1: And can you speak about some of those complicating factors? Um, I mean, you were doing individual interviews with individuals about their own stories and experiences and connections to either themselves or other people that have had an experience with, with abortion in some way, shape or form, you know, what, what were those complicating factors that, that, you know, move this conversation out of this pro choice, pro life binary, um, into a little bit more of a complex picture?
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly it is that even though we talk about abortion as this, deeply, you know, intense political reality. For most people, it's actually deeply personal. Among our interviewees, three quarters of them knew someone personally who had had an abortion. Um, A quarter of our female interviewees and a number of our male interviewees had personal experiences with abortion. And, uh, you know, for some of the women in our study, in particular, they would say, well, it's me, it's my experience. So it, it it took abortion out of this really politicized space and made it something suddenly that was very real and personal and intimate and, um, and contextualized by lived experience.
1: Let's look specifically at Catholics now. Um, the American bishops teach very directly that uh, abortion is a preeminent issue. For Catholics who are engaging in political life, let's say, uh, because it is intrinsically evil, because it is the you know the unjust uh, killing of an innocent life um, and violates human dignity, so there is a very solid moral foundation that the that the Catholic Church stands on to make the case that abortion can never be um, okay. I'm curious, did your study find that Catholics? align with the bishops that they feel very strongly about the issue of abortion? Or for Catholics, is it a more complex issue as well?
0: Yeah, I would say that you know Catholics are a really mixed lot. Of what I think is much more of a spectrum than than one side or another. Um, and in that way, Catholics actually look a lot like Americans in general on the issue of abortion. Um, there are some for whom this is absolutely a number one issue in the way that they vote or the way that they think about um, how they assess a politician's platform. Um, I will add, though, even for those folks. The fact that they prioritize abortion as an issue in the way that they vote can sometimes be super uncomfortable. Um, I'm thinking of especially one interview. Interviewee, for example, is a, a married mom. Uh, she considers herself an, an independent. She's a, a weekly attending Catholic, very involved in her parish. Um, has a master's degree. She's a Hispanic woman, and she she told us, "Yeah, abortion is my number one issue." But she also said, "And I hate it because I wish I could vote for the other ones too." And she's thinking especially about immigration. She's thinking about health care, and so she describes election time as a source of stress, Um, this is a a very hard thing for her. And this is someone, again, who, who says abortion, absolutely, it's number one. But as a result, she's really uncomfortable voting because she feels like she's having to go against her values in some other sense. And for that reason, I think that Catholics are... Um, a less predictable group uh, to know, well, how are they going to vote? It's not an easy guess uh, because for many, they are trying to balance all of these concerns that they're holding and that they're experiencing in their personal lives and communities.
1: Tricia, your study found that Americans categorically do not want more abortions. Everybody can agree that abortion in and of itself is not a good thing. And most Americans, including Catholics, are put off by the way abortion is discussed in the public realm, that pro-life versus pro-choice binary, as we discussed. So I'm just wondering, is it possible that for Catholics, perpetuating that type of discourse publicly could actually deter many Americans from engaging more constructively in the conversation about abortion and the root causes of it?
0: You know, there are so many um, things that can be brought into the conversation upon which people have common ground to begin to talk about, well, if there is in fact this common goal of reducing the circumstances that give rise to abortion decisions, is that not something that... We collectively, as an American body, and as a a community that wants to have laws and policies to support social goods, can we not have that as the premise of our conversation? And so I do think that if there's a way to um, flip the conversation such that it is less about absolutism, uh, it is less about These mutually exclusive binary camps. It is more about lived experiences, hardships, inequalities, personal realities, uh, and a shared goal of thinking about how do we reduce the situations that give rise to these decisions, and how do we support parents and families and children such that they can have uh, a positive livelihood. Um, Then, absolutely, I think there's a path forward to a, a mutual goal on that front
1: I think what you're what you're saying will resonate with uh, most people and I'm just wondering uh, though that from the Catholic perspective there are some some sort of categorical lines in the sand and so there is this um, this this need that comes from the tradition and the teaching of Jesus ultimately about the uh, sacredness of human life and the need to protect that. I'm wondering, in light of your study and the data that you've been looking at, what's the best piece of advice you could give somebody who, who wants to be engaged politically, who wants to cast a vote and wants to be faithfully Catholic, uh, but has to grapple with this nuance? Yeah,
0: Yeah, this is hard. There's no easy Catholic home for a Catholic voter, by which I mean um, there is not a political platform of one party or another that fits well with Catholic teaching across the board or with um, the bishop's recommendations across the board. But I will speak from the experience of having done this study, which meant sitting down with two hundred and seventeen Americans who, some of whom I had similarities uh, with, whether it was by way of age or education, religion, gender, or otherwise, but many of whom I had a lot of differences with in terms of background and uh, and lived experiences. And there's something about hearing, from someone else who has had such a vastly different experience um, from your own that I think then sheds light on the way that you yourself begin to think about things. And so I think to, to sum up that advice, it would be, you know, one, think about, you know, what are the limits of our own knowledge based upon our own experience and and positions, and maybe getting outside of that by beginning to listen to others, whether it's through conversation or, you know, reading this study or or reading um, other stories of other people's experiences, but then also spending some time. Thinking about, well, for myself, how do I really think about this? And maybe that means getting more information so that it's not a gut check, sticking to an immediate quick label based on fear of diving deeper into something, but realizing, well, there's a way to um, embrace complexity and nuance while also holding on to my deeply held identity as a a Catholic.
1: Thank you very much, Tricia.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate the invitation.
2: Hi, I'm Colleen Dully, host of America Media's Inside the Vatican podcast. Every week, I get to talk with America's veteran Vatican correspondent, Gerard O'Connell, about the biggest Vatican stories. The Vatican can seem super complicated, but on the show, we break down complex stories and talk about how they fit into the long, slow arc of change in the church. You can join us on Inside the Vatican, available on your favorite podcast app. Thanks.
1: Welcome back. Before the break, we heard from Trisha Bruce about the 2020 study she helped conduct on how Americans think about abortion. That study found that for most Americans, including Catholics, Abortion is a complicated and deeply personal issue. Hard position labels like pro-choice or pro-life don't actually fit a lot of people's experience, and the fever-pitched debates keep people from engaging with it. But for Amy Murphy, whose story we heard at the beginning of the episode, the decision to engage with the abortion debate was clear. The traumatic experience of her rape meant that Amy had to find her own way of navigating the issue as a feminist, an activist, and as a Catholic.
2: You know, for me personally, um, because of my own experience, my own story, um, abortion has really always been the issue that's closest to my heart because it takes the most lives and it's so culturally accepted. I do really see it as the most preeminent issue of our modern era, um, but I think you know, really following a consistent life ethic means that we approach any act of violence from this foundational understanding of human dignity as inherent, as immutable, as something that can't be removed from any individual human being. I think one of the beautiful things about the consistent life ethic is that we're going to end up with people who embrace this philosophy working in so many different areas of activism. So, you know, there are going to be people who, uh, you know, like specifically work on ending racism and police brutality who still embrace a consistent life ethic. And, you know, those of us who might be spending more of our time and energy on ending abortion, Um, you know, we don't need to be calling out those people who are spending more of their energy on racial justice. You know, as long as we come together on this understanding of the consistent life ethic and we come from that same foundational place, I think it's good to know that, you know, there are people with the same philosophy who are doing work in other spheres. You know, I think there's a beauty in the diversity within our movement.
1: Amy, it strikes me as you're you're speaking that the consistent life ethic is homeless in America's political sphere. And by that, I mean, it doesn't really align with any of the political parties. And it also seems that the life issues themselves have been politicized in some ways. Uh, so I'm wondering if you could comment on that, on on the politicization of life issues, and what that means for activism and this consistent life ethic applied in our society.
2: We as consistent life ethic Catholics, I think, are really put between a rock and a hard place um, when it comes to politics because. You know, on one side of the aisle, you have this party that stands for the rights of immigrants and supposedly, you know, the party of the little guy, while also supporting violence against the literal littlest of guys, like pre-born humans. Yet on the other side, we have this party that supposedly stands for the rights of the preborn, um, yet supports the death penalty. Um, and, you know, also support of uh, nuclear weapons and continued war making and dismembering families through family separations at the border. And, you know, it's where can a person of goodwill who supports human rights for all stand in this political climate? And yet, if you look at uh, research polls that have been done, um, it, they actually show that, it's particularly among Catholics, people are more likely to align their ethical views uh, on, on life issues in particular with whatever political party they align with instead of the teachings of the church. You know, I think it really is an indictment of the Catholic Church in the United States that we seem to look more like the polarized culture than a real reflection of this broad and holistic framework of Catholic social teaching.
1: So in light of that, I'm wondering how you, as a pro-life activist and someone who is Explicitly nonviolent in your in your worldview and social view and political view, how you actually approach a voting booth in November, um, how does all of this factor into how you think about and discern who to vote for?
2: Yeah, oof, I get this question all the time. <laughs> Uh, Because I think people do want to know, like, how can someone who embraces this holistic nonviolent philosophy actually vote when we're faced with this violent two-party duopoly? Um, And here's, you know, this is my answer. This is where I come from with my conscience. And it's just, I have such a low bar (laughs) for people that I'm willing to vote for. Like, I consider it, like, literally lower than, you know, like, Placing a broomstick on the floor (laughs) like it is like literally like a piece of duct tape taped to the carpet Like it should not be hard to get over. This is my low bar Here's the question. Do you oppose aggressive violence against human beings? Do you oppose all aggressive violence against human beings because if you do then I'll consider voting for you and I think we As consistent life ethic supporters really need to be standing up and demanding more of our politicians. So, I mean, ultimately, people are going to make decisions that are aligned with their conscience and, um, you know, perhaps the question isn't, you know, who is the lesser of two evils in this circumstance, but rather what are we doing as a culture, as individuals who support this consistent life ethic every other day of the year when we're not in the voting booth to build a country and build political parties and you know, find candidates who promote this consistent ethic of nonviolence? The things that we can come together and work on are not necessarily like who we're voting for, but what we're doing on the ground to create a better world where every human being is respected, valued, and protected.
1: Thank you very much, Amy.
2: Yeah, thanks. My pleasure.
1: on the next and final episode of Voting Catholic. We frame the abortion issue within the broader context of the common good.
2: To say that abortion is the
1: preeminent issue in a particular political
2: season is to reduce the common good in effect
1: to one issue. And that's a distortion of Catholic teaching. I speak with Bishop Robert McElroy of San Diego about what it means to vote Catholic.
2: If you're doing that authentically, then your highest authority is the conscience. In a Catholic teaching, not only can you follow your conscience, you must. It is sinful not to follow a well-formed conscience.
1: For complete coverage of the 2020 election from America Media, visit americamagazine.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting us. It's easy to do. Go to americamagazine.org slash donate or subscribe to our award-winning print magazine. Thank you for your support. And if you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please let them know. That's the simplest way to spread the word about the series. Voting Catholic is a production of America Media, a Jesuit ministry. This episode was written and produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Sound design and mixing by Ashley Spillane with production assistance from Kevin Robles and Erica Rasmussen. Art by Sean Tripoli and Allison Hamilton. It was recorded, at a safe distance, in the William J. Loeshert Studio at America Media in New York City. Voting Catholic was made possible by the generous support of Beth and Tom Rainey. I'm your host and executive producer, Sebastian Gomes. Thanks for listening.
0: Hi, this is Maggie Van Dorn, and I help produce Voting Catholic. It's no ordinary time for politics and the presidential election. So if you're enjoying Voting Catholic, I recommend signing up for the America Today newsletter. Every day, America delivers free breaking news and analysis from a smart, informed perspective. It's completely free and brings these important stories straight to your inbox, all with the intelligence and civility you expect from America visit americamag.org slash newsletters. And thank you for listening.